the Netflix original movie podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Morgan. You can follow the show at NomCastPod on Twitter and Instagram, or you can check us out on the web at NomCastPod.com. All right, what's going on, everybody? How's everybody doing? Hope everyone's well out there. Thanks, as always, for spending your time with us. We have another excellent show for you all. Actor, writer, critic, and all-around content machine, Colby Mack, is back with us. He's here to talk about the latest film from Oscar-winning writer-director Aaron Sorkin, The Trial of the Chicago 7. The film stars the likes of Sasha Baron Cohen, Eddie Redmayne, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Yaya Abdul-Mateen, Mark Rylance, Jeremy Strong, and many, many more talented performers. It's a politically charged story about seven people on trial stemming from various charges surrounding the uprising at the 1968 Democratic National Convention in Chicago, Illinois. The movie comes out this Friday, so we will bring a full non-spoiler breakdown, and then after a brief warning, we get into some real specifics with our spoiler section at the end. So stay tuned for my conversation with Colby, but first a word from our friends at Forgotten Entertainment. Do you like beer? Do you like podcasts? Do you like beer podcasts? Then check out Cracking One Open, a podcast about brews, news, and pop culture reviews. Every week, we crack open a new craft beer from breweries around the country. And sometimes the world. We'll talk about how it was made, what's in it, the history of the brew, and the brewery. Then we'll give our tasting notes, and while we're finishing up, we'll talk about some of the latest goings-on in the world of pop culture. So check out Cracking One Open with Mike and Elise, part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. I'm Mike Field. I'm Mike Butler. It's October. You know what that means. Another month of Forgotten Horror. Join us for four weeks of Forgotten Horror films. Mike, what are they? John Carpenter's Vampires, The House with a Clock in Its Walls, Don't Be Afraid of the Dark, and the 2013 remake of Evil Dead. Ooh, sounds scary. It is. <laughs> so mark your calendars every Wednesday in October for Forgotten Horror, where you can listen to the scariest in forgotten cinema. We're back and we're scary. Get some! All right. Welcome back. So excited for you all to hear my conversation with Colby Mack. But first, I want to urge everyone to check out Colby's past reviews on ColbyToldMe.com and follow him on Twitter at ColbyToldMe. Also, please subscribe, rate, and review our podcast, The Nomcast, on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to us right now. All right, let's get to it. Here it is, our review of Aaron Sorkin's The Trial of the Chicago 7. Give a listen. Are they about to conquer Spain? This is it. 
It's time. We're not rushing the police. Tom doesn't want anyone hurt. We've got to turn this crowd around. There's too much momentum. We've got to turn them around I mean, and what, calm what, what, them what are we doing down. Here? He's right. This is not safe. I know something about this. Okay? Marshals, turn them around and slow them down. It's like the Alamo back here. Turn them around and bring them safely back we, we, to the park. We should be marching right up to them. I don't think they're going to surrender, man. Keep it moving. Dave and I are going to stay and make Tom's bail. Back to the park. I don't carry money. Do you? I do. I'm a grown man. All right. Kobe Mack is here. Glad to have him back. Glad to have him with us. Apparently, you might be my uh, my either, like, Vietnam correspondent, my uh, <laughs> my uh, politically motivated movie correspondent. I don't know, because you're, uh, you're rocking the five bloods and this. So, I don't know. You might also be, who knows, um, an Oscar uh, candidate here too so looking good for you man and you're looking good how are you doing yo 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 what up it's your boy kobe mack and i'm bu- 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 back <laughs> on the nomcast yeah <laughs> return of the mac who doesn't Damn love that man. baby return of the mac return of the mac it, oh my god that shit is still yeah. a banger don't even mess it is i know it always is bro uh, always good to be back man good to see your face absolutely man glad to know we're all still kicking glad we're on not uh you know dying on the vine here in quarantine or whatever uh we have a real possible best picture candidate to talk about this is insane i probably haven't talked about a movie in these parlances in quite some time even though netflix is like you know everybody thinks they're the only game in town they're most of the game i will admit that they're definitely most of the game and i feel like that like that's making abc and some other studios it's like shit bricks you're like um so this whole oscar things yeah we may skip it yeah no you're not <laughs> I, like, I love how that talk's been coming up this week like like no don't worry like they're gonna have it netflix is in netflix has got to be feeling really really good like if anyone like we've all had like a some different varying levels of shitty of 2020 not netflix no no definitely not (laughs) netflix although i will say looking at the slate ahead they are in really good shape throughout the end of the year i am interested though when the when it turns to 2021 what their plans are or what they have because that's when everybody's going to get hit by the production delays so i'm i'm very curious you know they might still go on a spending spree i mean that's what happened with this film right i mean yeah you know this uh, it was so weird seeing that dreamworks i said wait what Oh, yeah, that's right. (laughs) Well, DreamWorks is just the start of it. I mean, because this movie started as a Spielberg project. It was a conversation where Sorkin was writing the screenplay for a Spielberg-directed film back in 07. Uh, It goes back that far. Um, And then this movie got sold uh, from Paramount in, well, you know, obviously over the summer to come out for now because they really wanted this to have a chance to be out before the election. So this movie has gone through so many permutations. Have you seen any of the the, Yo, the old been, casting or any of the other stuff? I've it's been crazy. so dark on this film. Like, I this is probably the coldest I've ever went into a movie of this caliber in a while because everyone's in it, you know? So, right. And it's like, I just, I didn't pay attention to much of the trades or like, um, of like how this movie's kind of shifted or anything like that. Like, all I knew is that Sorkin, he's writing, he's directing, it's with Netflix now. And it's going to come out. Will I be able to see it in a movie theater? 
I didn't think I was going to be able to, right. but apparently I got a chance to. So that was great to take in, like, one of the few Netflix movies. That, last Netflix film that I saw in the theater um, was last year. Eddie Murphy's, um, oh, don't mind my name. I saw don't it in the theater, name, too, yeah. Right? You know, so, like, it was great to kind of get back to that. And now, like, I've got I've got my designated Netflix theater that's just always going to get Netflix. <laughs> yeah. So, like, I'm glad that I found that. Yeah. And what's interesting, when I saw it, uh, I've now seen it twice in the theater, not to be a brag or anything, uh, to people who don't have theaters open around them or anything else. Sorry, New York, L.A. or whatever. Um, but the second time I saw it, all the trailers were Netflix movies, too. And I was like, this yeah, is right. gone crazy yeah. now. <laughs> they were literally having trailers for movies that's currently on Netflix. Like, I was Bro. like, you are running out of stuff to it play, a, buddy. <laughs> a whole new world, man. But, but yeah, I went into this super cold. So, like, I don't know anything of the plot. I don't know, like, like who was starring in it. So, everybody was a surprise. It's such a, like, a unique feeling to be transported back to, like, how I used to watch movies in the 90s. Yeah. Where I didn't watch a trailer. Like, I just saw the Showtimes in the paper. Yep. And, like, I just showed up and I bought the ticket right there, like, at the stand. <laughs> I didn't go, I didn't even go to the kiosk or like that. I exchanged cash, low, yeah. <laughs> you know, to get this ticket. And, like, I w it was just a surprise after surprise. Like, I'm curious to what the budget is for this movie, but, like, this actually, this film feels like a '90s film. Like this was made in the '90s, about the late '60s. A little bit, and I, yeah. I, so all right. So here's here's a few of the fun facts for you. All right, uh, especially now that you watch it, you get you got to have your pure experience, and now give you a little bit of uh, how it exchanged hands. Like we said, uh, you know, it was originally in '07 where Spielberg was attached. It was going to be a DreamWorks thing. Uh, Sorkin was writing it. And then as soon as they started to make headway and wanted to start casting, uh, the writer's strike happened. And basically all the delays of that kind of killed the project because then Spielberg and Sorkin both had projects that they had to move on to. So this one got put on the back burner. But even back then, the original casting had uh, Will Smith attached as Bobby Seale. And they were talking to Heath Ledger to play... Uh, Tom Hayden. Interesting. Yeah. So that I was like, wow, <laughs> that would have been a way different movie, I feel, wow. than what we got. So that was the first time it got uh, put on the sideline. Then Spielberg, you know, kind of saw like 2016 happen with the election and some of the, the protest stuff and started, you know, to see kind of the early turmoil and made this seem more relevant. So Spielberg's you know, sparked it back up. Sorkin had a rewrite uh, after he had a meeting with Paul Greengrass and kind of, you know, honed up the script for that. That So they started trying to, to get this off the ground again in 2018 with Sorkin to direct, so mm. like it is now. But the original casting for that one uh, had Jonathan Majors as Bobby Seale and, oh. and Seth Rogen was supposed to play Jerry Rubin. Huh. I know. Can you imagine, though, <laughs> I think it would almost be too much to have Rogan and Sasha Baron Cohen on the same side. I got to be honest with you, not knowing any, like, didn't even watch the trailer in full. Right. I had no idea what the tone of this movie was supposed to be. <laughs> because that it's opening true. prologue, I'm like, all right, I'm just going to go with it. Right. I'm just going to go with it. So, yeah, if I cannot have imagined if we were to have <laughs> Rogan and Baron Cohen. That's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot, especially considering now for anyone who's seen the movie, you can kind of see where the characters are, where uh, Strong's performance kind of like is 
I would think way more subdued than yeah. what Rogan probably would have put out there. But again, complete but speculation. Again, yo, Rogan but. really surprised me in, um, oh my God, what's the other circuit film that he did with uh, Steve Jobs? Uh, with, yeah, Steve Jobs. Yeah. So like, I can kind of imagine Jerry being that, right? I can feel that. Yeah. But I mean, there was, I mean, Jeremy Strong did like a, a phenomenal job. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he did like, he did a really, really good job. Yeah. So, I think I like the way how it is now. Yeah, I, I'm the way I kind of see all the permutations. I'm totally on board with how it kind of shook out. Um, but like, like I said, even then, that was back in 2018 when they tried to get this off the ground, and then they had budget cuts, budget issues, and it got put on hold again before they then, uh, you know, kind of went to um, Paramount. Ended up being the distributor for this film. Okay. Before they sold it to Netflix. And to answer your question about the budget, the budget uh, for this, I believe, was in the 35 mil range. How? I know. How? Check it out. Because especially considering you think the cast would eat up most of that or all of that, right? Like, how yeah. is that possible? From what I heard, uh, I read that it was $11 million of the 35 or whatever it was went to the actors. So I think a lot of people did this for scale or for reduced rate. Okay, so like, how does Paramount make so? Well, so Paramount sells this film to Netflix for fifty-six million dollars. So technically, because they didn't have to really market it or anything else yet, because they okay. sold it early enough, they didn't. They made a profit off this movie. Yeah. So now, not much. It's not going to fund yeah. all the other stuff that maybe they lost, <laughs> but <laughs> th that's a decent chunk of change for something that could have yeah. been dead on the vine. You know, like something I mean, they probably made enough for, like you know, the you know crafty budget of the next Transformers movie. So okay, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so those are the players that were up to that point, and so now you obviously see where this film, uh, you know, kind of is yeah. now and i could say like as an actor if i was to get this script there's something that is pretty enticing about it like it's definitely got like that spotlight I did, yeah. feel, right like okay you know that we got you know we know who's producing this film we know the names behind it it's one of those things where it's like okay i just want to have my hand in this pot and just see yo hey agent like what kind of traction can yeah. i get like parlay this into something else like this is probably one of the most beefiest ensembles that i've seen in this type of like yeah. courtroom drama in a while. Probably like Sid Spotlight. Like it definitely gave me like spotlight yes, mixed with like absolutely. big short vibes. You know? Um and it has it it has that yeah. Hollywood sheen to it, right? Like it's weird. Like when I'm watching this movie, I can tell that this was not a Netflix movie from the jump. Uh -huh. And I, I don't know if that sounds weird, but like I could it, it's just I can tell this was not a Netflix movie from the jump. Like right. from the minds of Netflix. <laughs> They Which is odd because we were talking <laughs> you know off Mike, where like somehow Netflix seems to get these properties though that kind of match yeah. themselves, like their tone, their culture. The, like it almost seems like this should have been a Netflix movie. But like I think the look would have been different. It would have looked different. Mm -hmm. I think it would have sounded different. So I don't know why. There's just something about this. Not saying that it doesn't match. I mean, Netflix is truly like unique in that. It has these varying shades of different tones sure. of quality to their productions, right? Like they know based off of the numbers that they're looking for how much they're really right. willing to put in the effort, right? And like like even when I think of something like last year, right? The two popes. I could tell that that was a Netflix oh, see, film. I didn't something feel that about, about it. that one. I thought like, that felt more cinematic really? okay. 
than a lot of the other ones that they were backing. Like even okay. even Marriage Story, I thought looked a little lower. Yeah, because mm. again, you're talking different budgets here. You're talking who who you're backing, sure, the pedigree yeah. for these type of people, and you know, I would hope. That if you know you have an Aaron Sorkin movie that's you know kind of timely, kind of all that, that if they got actually got a hold of it, I think they do right by it. I I just know that a lot of films yeah. that un, unless you are a known product, they don't like to shoot on film a lot, so you get kind of the digital look, which a lot mm-hmm. of times is very sufficient, very good. But I I know we remarked earlier, uh, like what was it last month, uh, The Devil All the Time. That movie looks very cinematic because they shot it on film. And, like, people remarked about it, mm. which it's weird that that should even come into question. Like, you know, but it's it's rare for a Netflix movie <laughs> to continually shoot on yeah. 35. So, you know, obviously I would imagine The Irishman was doing that uh, for a good amount. You know, if you have somebody of a higher ilk, you know damn well Mank is shot on 35, if not... Uh, you know, something of oh, a yeah. you know of a different quality, like seventy or uh, you know, or going older mm-hmm. with the tech. I don't know. I'm speculating. I love that trailer. I can't wait to see that goddamn movie. Anyway, um, this movie though, I was happy to catch up and kind of like I watched Molly's Game uh, because you know he's new. T- he's an a legendary writer. I love his writing. I. I, am a, I want to take one of his master classes. I really, really do. Yeah, I mean, I've heard him on podcasts, and it just impresses me to hear him talk, whether it's about, you know, process or about other films to where he can really, how he dissects and how he sees structure and everything. I would absolutely love to hear uh, how he does things because he's written some of the biggest movies in the last 25 years, absolutely. 30 I mean, years. He's, a, he's, a, he's an expert, like, expert in dialogue like just yes. anytime that you you could just tell like it's sorkin and he, like he just understands the flow of language and like getting the like the, the meatiest piece the meatiest pieces out of like just like what it, it, what is important out of this conversation and then matching it up to these actors and their performances that are just like so like delicious right right um i think that i think that can work really really great and i think that sometimes depending up, upon the property it can work against it mm. well i mean every Every kind of writer, director, or even just like some of the better directors we have now, a lot of them start out as writer directors and kind of like yeah. use their own, you know, projects. And you know, he came from the writing first, so that's a little bit yes. different. A lot of people yeah. are just trying to start out the shoot the way he is now. Oh, true. Um, so, but some people have to learn that maybe they're not the best at directing their own stuff. I think Sorkin is just finally get because he's a very smart guy he knows exactly yeah. what he wants to see the problem is how do we get there and i think between molly's game and this film now he has now started to get to where he is matching what's in his head on screen because as oh, yeah you can see the progression 10 minutes like the first five ten minutes of this film i was like this man has nailed it because oh, yeah. the the montage in the beginning uh, the really how it sets up character you know everything about these people the pacing mm-hmm. of it is impressive and it felt to me like watching the west wing more than it felt like i was watching molly's game so i think he's starting to get back to what he had when he had more control over something like more mm-hmm. of his tv stuff than his film stuff obviously because he was just writing but you know 
I think he's now matched to what he wants to see and how he's pulling it off. I absolutely agree. Like, I loved the prologue of this. It was like, it was weird. I wasn't expecting it. Right. Like, it really came out of left field for me because um, it was filling in so much that I am super unfamiliar with the this trial, what's its importance to history and, like, everything. Yeah. Like, I'm going in this super cold. Um, and it moves really fast. I, I However, even with me knowing nothing, I don't think it moved too fast where I wasn't able to grasp or like get an idea of like where I was supposed to be, right? Um, obviously, with courtroom dramas, there's a lot of like text on screen to kind of fill in some of the gaps to be able to help the audience go along. Yes. And it was a long prologue. Like, you know the year, you know the players. And I think with this type of story, you got to go in understanding that I don't believe I'm here to truly invest into these characters and look for the fulfillment of their arcs and changed, you know, you know, uh, um, um, like and them reaching goals. Right. This is purely situational, and I'm here to be able to see the conflict and see how it resolves. Right. Not so much with the characters. And I think as long as if you're like an educated audience member like that, then you're absolutely going to be like, you know, fulfilled by this story for sure. And you know. People always criticize, especially since the social network that, you know, <laughs> yeah, Sorkin likes to play fast and loose with history. And what I will say <laughs> in his defense for this film in particular was, you know, if he didn't kind of like boost up a little bit of the some of the dialogue or some of the, the scenes, especially outside of the courtroom, this movie mm-hmm. would have seemed like a Wikipedia entry on film. It would have been oh, so flat that he... His style and his style of writing, his dialogue, is what makes this movie tick and equals up to the pacing that he wants to set out for this film. I I think you couldn't do it any other way. But in his defense, I have watched, there's a couple of different versions of this story that either were like TV movie adaptations or like there are like shorter versions or documentary (laughs) stuff. And from the stuff that they did where they took it more straight out of the transcripts, Mm-hmm. The, a lot of that dialogue is in here. Oh, this really? a lot of it is literally pulled from all the real wow. life stuff. So, I think he was actually probably in the initial drafts, especially was really being kind of adhering to what was actually happening versus like him just trying to shove his either his slant or his mm-hmm. or his style into it before it got further on. Because I think you know. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was gonna say, I, I like you said slant. I don't know too much of like where Sorkin leans. I mean, you can kind of get an idea from this piece and the time that we're in, right? But like, I think it did a good job at like not painting at least like even it's so it's so interesting that the message in this film and the characters they all lean left, but I don't think that necessarily this was painting like as the right bad. Like, and it was it was it was very interesting that like inside the dialogue coming from Abby. One of my favorite characters in 2020 yeah, on screen. Sure. Um, Sasha Baron Cohen's the man, bro. Can't <laughs> wait for Borat's sequel. Uh, <laughs> um, he said something where it's like, he was asked a question by JGL, shout out. And it was like, do you feel contempt for your government? Yes. And it was a very like pointed question where like, you could almost take that like as if like, if, if Sorkin is asking you, do you feel contempt for your government? Right. And like, he didn't want to be baited into that question. He's like, no, I believe that there are ideals that that like that that if we adhere to them can be great, but these people are like the problem. Yes, and it's like it's not even necessarily the fact that like oh the right is the like no just bad people like this entire thing was over like just some petty like pissing contest between 
two AGs. Yes, sure. Like, and all this happened because of it, right? Yeah. You know what I'm like it's 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 just absolutely nuts. But like, I like that. Like that shows a restraint that he wasn't so heavy handed that we've seen from some very political, you know, um, uh, content creators, right? Yeah, and and to be honest, and to his credit, I mean, a lot of people kind of paint him. A little left, of course, mm-hmm. but I think that's also because he just has like kind of this sap to him, this like heart that is like not found in a lot of politically natured stuff. Like if you watch the West Wing, you know, they're pretty even balanced on the mm-hmm. politics. However, it's with, you know, a president that I believe it, you know, it's a lot of Democrats within the show. So the way yeah. they paint it, they sh- they cover both sides, but they, you know, by inherently having characters who are within certain parties or within certain slants, you're going to develop mm-hmm. those ideas in there. So it's a little bit different. But the uh, what I'd say for, for this project, he's he's really come into it where... <sighs> It's I I don't want to get too political in my own nature, but I'm just I almost want to say, like, what side would you prefer him to be on? Like the facts, even in retrospect, look horrendous. So like Mm -hmm. and you're telling the story from the perspective of the Chicago seven, you know, like that opening montage isn't, uh, you know, showing the police or the attorney or, you know, it takes a while to get those characters immediately. You want to know who the defendants are. So it already sets the table for let's look at these people's perspective. And obviously, like you said, they are all, you know, considered, you know, kind of a, a leftist army as like JGL said, I think at one point <laughs> in the film. So, you know, I, I think that's where the political stuff might, you know, get them in some i think i think it's more like like anything else where the reaction of the critics and people who watch the film are gonna color people's uh feelings for this in retrospect <laughs> like yeah. uh, like you're we we get to watch it now pre-hype you know, or like pre like you know we're starting to hear some of the the Oscar stuff because there's nothing else to fucking talk about. <laughs> like we went through the Nomadland cycle. We went through. Uh-huh. Uh, we're about to go into this probably a little bit heavier, you know, because it comes out this Friday. But man, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's it's different. It's going to be different it because is. it's going to have that political nature in an election cycle. So some people might give this bad ratings just because they don't want to freaking hear about, uh, you know, protesting or any of the, the political opposition stuff. No, that's very true. I mean, I think protest is obviously at the core of what this film is, but I think what this film has to its benefit is that I think we've all kind of are resolved that we were in a war that we had no business being in. Correct. And I think that's one of those things that's kind of hard to argue. Um, I mean, some sides will, will staunchly just do it, and, and it turns into like this patriotic thing, right? Um, and like there's, it permeates throughout the entirety of the story. Sure. But I mean, it's, it was interesting kind of seeing like, all right, I'm going this cold. You got these college students. You got hippies. You got Black Panthers. And how they're going to all intersect. Yeah. I think it was unique to kind of see where that was. Because I mean, with this courtroom drama, I'm looking at everything in the present, right? At, like, you know, months after this incident at the DNC in 1968. And... Okay, how do we get here? And then what's the discovery? Like, what is Mark Rylance? You know, yeah. or what's his name? Kunst? Kunst? The way the Frank Langella says his name all the time. I'm just like, Kunstler? This guy. Yeah. 
Kunstler, yeah. right? Um, like, what is he going to be able to uncover that's going to end up, you know, you know, getting these guys exonerated? Sure. Right? That's ultimately like what I'm looking for. And I think that that formula of a courtroom drama, it definitely, I think it, it hit a lot of those beats. Yeah. And then did something interesting in the third act. Yeah, we can get there. I, I'm, I'm actually yeah. uh, right there with you. So, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so one thing I will say, okay. So again, not to brag, I've seen the movie twice. So uh, the, the first time I watched the film, I was very taken with how funny this movie is, how surprisingly yeah. funny this movie is, <laughs> how... Uh, how the dialogue is, like we just said, how it's very, you know, sorkin at his peak powers, you mm-hmm. know, just really making that rat-a-tat dialogue and, and making it snappy, but also intelligent. And it has all the earmarks of what you love from him if you're a fan. And then, yeah. you know, I would say that I kind of let a few things go. Like in my gut, I was like, that could have probably... <laughs> been done better but how good they did this movie in the first two-thirds three-quarters of the film is so damn good that they were set up for being an elite film and especially for even though i saw it you know uh pretty early and it's obviously not on the platform yet i still kept hearing from everybody like oh hey they did a screening at this thing or whatever and like people were just talking how it's going to be best picture quality i was like jesus can we can we wait until like the week it comes out what happened to embargoes um so but so i watched it and i had those you know rose-colored glasses and and i appreciate it and i'm not saying those are completely off now what i would say is that there are two scenes that i think make this film go from elite to just really good because I want to still state I, that I believe this is a really good movie. And I bet you we're going to, when we get to it, yeah, we're going to get to those same two scenes. Yeah. So I, but no, you know, sorry. this movie, it gave me the same feeling initially after I watched it, right? It gave me the same feeling that I got as I got out of my press screening for James Mangold's 4B Ferrari last year. Uh-huh. I said, yo, this is the leading contender, the front runner <laughs> for the best picture. Uh huh. Because it had everything that what the like what the academy looks for. Yes, it had that, and I think that this movie has it's got it's got the it's got the stars. It's got the name recognition. It's got the writing, the directing. I will say, does it do anything like super like you know like you know something you've never seen before? You know, cinematically like with a cinematography. No, no, not at you all. know, I think that it looks the same way like how um the basis of sex did. You know, uh, uh, did this earlier this okay, week. Okay, right? yeah, sure. Like it looks like a courtroom drama, like yeah. a little kind of glossy because of you know it's it's set like in the you know 50s, 60s, or whatever, and, and that's fine. Like, and, but I'm glad that we didn't spend too too much time inside the court. Like we had those, I want to call them vignettes, but like we were able to kind of go back and forth with our different defendants and seeing you know where they are in retrospect to like how the the case is playing out. So like, I think that was like actually really really good. Right. But like this is. You know, sometimes when you say paint by numbers, it makes it seem like it's generic. This isn't generic because it has something that's really special about it. And I think it's because the ensemble is so strong. And as an actor, acting elevates material for me. Right. And when you have Sorkin as your basis, and then you have legit Academy Award winning and, you know, um, a nominated, you know, talent on so many levels, except from women. I hope that's not a conversation that people would bring up, but yeah, it's hard you know? when literally the entire main players of the courtroom aren't women. So it's hard to like just insert yeah. 
something in here. Although I don't have her at the tip of my tongue, but the the woman who played kind of the the the, the double agent or the federal agent, whatever. Uh, well, her and the uh-huh. the office manager quote. If you want to yeah. speak to the conspiracy uh-huh. office, quote unquote. Conspir- uh, conspiracy office. <laughs> I thought she was very good too. Uh, I don't. Here's here's the point. You could say anyone in this movie. Nobody was bad. And that's the key no strength to this thing. Nobody yeah. was bad. There are some excellent performances that we'll talk about yeah. in a minute. But I would say that, yeah, if you mention anybody, I was like, yeah, no, they were good. Trust me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, this is this is a hefty, like, there's there's a lot of speaking roles in this film. And everybody carries their weight. Yeah. I would say you know, the, the some of the key strengths of this film is you obviously are going to talk about the casting. But to me, it's the beauty of how balanced these characters are and how well defined they are, even if they don't get as much screen time as some of the others. But, but to be honest, I think if anything, Oscar, if you want to put it through that lens for this film, it's going to be really hard to kind of pick and choose for some of these performances. If you're going to put them into categories, I would say ensembles typically have that problem, but usually some kind of, you know, cream rises to the cup. Top. Yeah. I'll say I'll save it for when I you know warn everybody about spoilers and stuff. But I would say at least off the top of my head because it's going to be a topic of conversation. Um, I would say easily Yaya Abdul Mateen to me is the mm-hmm. best supporting actor that I've seen thus far this year. Now again, we don't have a lot of you know performances to speak of, especially mm-hmm. outside of Netflix and things that I saw, but. To me, he was such a standout in this film that he he's that for me right now. And that's seeing it twice where the the main things that rise, I, I definitely agree with you about Rylance. He's also on yeah. my short list. And yeah. Eddie Redmayne, I think, is another one that if they put him in lead, that might work. But I know a lot of people are beating the drum for Sasha Baron Cohen, but I will say that on rewatch... I think he went down just a little bit, and I think it's for those two scenes. Um, mm-hmm. uh, he gets affected hard by one of them. So I will say, I will couch that, put a pin in that for now. But what I will say is that that's where I lean. Where do you lean in the, the key strengths of this film, especially when it comes to the cast? Honestly, I had Rylance above Yaya Abdul-Mateen. Okay. And Can't fault you. Know, you. I had to ask Very myself, good. I had to ask myself, like, whose story is this, right? Yeah. Like, obviously, the name of the film is The Trial of the Chicago 7. And technically, Yaya ain't a part of that 7. No. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like, but but his importance to just what the undertones and ultimately showing this pervasive nature of this courtroom yes. and this judge, like, you needed that, right? Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know how like how much of a chunk that was like inside of the actual like you know unfolding of events. Um, and as a black man, I'm deeply impacted by what I'm seeing on screen and what's being done to this black man. Yeah. Amidst other white you know you know defendants that are right next to him, and it's a stark contrast in the way that he's being you know treated. And it's just like this whole like justice is a mockery. Like what is justice, right? Right. When it's it's so funny. Like you hear the chants throughout the film. The world is watching. Yes. And you have a segment of America that just doesn't give a fuck. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, and, and they haven't for 50 years. Yeah. 60 years now. Yeah. Like, it's wild. Um, so I think, like, st- I, what I don't want folks to get caught up with 
is that emotional response and the message of this film and how eerie it is to come out in this time yeah. to la- don't Yaya's doing really 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 good. Yeah. But it is really small too. It is a small role. And some of the smallest roles that I've seen throughout the years that have been Oscar worthy, they had a little bit more. I mean, there was a couple of moments. Like I'm trying to think like, all right, let me play the Oscar reel. What's the Oscar moment from Yaya that I'm going to be able to see? Right. And it's like that third moment where it's really building and he has just had it. Tired. Yeah, he's had enough. You know, yeah. he's just had it. And it, it and but what what I don't want to say what takes it away from him is that Rylance jumps in on that moment and so does Langella. Right. Yeah. You know? And like I could just see the picture in like, you know, like just when when it's like that last freeze frame, if he gets nominated, of him. Yes. Oh gosh. Yeah. I know. And, and to be honest though. It's so striking that that doesn't leave you, though. Every moment that he's on the film, he, I, I don't forget yeah. it. And I, I, There's I, so much he's doing with his eyes because this man is being told, no, you sh- shut the fuck up. Yeah. Like that's, if, 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 that's what, if that's what the court could say, shut up. You do not have the same rights as these men. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Like, I, I, I don't care, you know? And... He because he has to just be quiet. There's like you could see it in his eyes, like that. Like so, like I will say this as an actor, I'm loving what he's doing with his body, right? Because he is saying so much by saying nothing at all. Where he's actually more powerful to me, silent than when he actually opens up his mouth, right? For sure. Uh, but that's just that, that's just a mean thing, and it takes nothing away. Like I think he's doing a phenomenal job. But there was something about Rylance. Like I was a little hurt when he won. I thought <laughs> for sure. That that was slides to that was slides to win, right? <laughs> I don't know. Like, about that. and sure. I, I think that's yeah. like what kind of really got me. I'm like, Bridge of Spies, what? Come on, man. Yeah. But Rylance is like really, really good here, and I think honestly, it was written to kind of be, you know, it was, you know, it's a little, little beefier in that role. Yeah. Right? Who wouldn't want to play like as an actor? I want to play a lawyer in a courtroom. I want to be able to argue. I know. And he's got some really, really great moments. You know, uh, Redmayne, you know, shout out to that American accent. You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, I think I've heard one from him before. But like, this is like unique because he, I think he's like a he's definitely like that New England guy. Right. Like, was he friends with 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 with, um, with Bobby Kennedy or JFK? He said he was a pallbearer. I'm like, is this guy a pallbearer? Oh, you're so saying Hayden. He, like, new... yeah, yes. Hayden, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay. So I think he's like from that, you know, that area, whatever. Like, I I liked how he built that character. Well, so is Hoffman. Um, That's why they're kind of those yeah. rivals in terms of that. It's like the New England intellectual circuit, the Ivy League circuit, sort of. Mm-hmm. Although Versus Hoffman went to Hippie. Brandeis, which I don't know if that it's considered like just under my uh, Ivy League. Mm. But you know, don't ever tell that to someone who went to Brandeis. But uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, but definitely they have that rivalry. And I will say that uh, you know Redman's accent is a lot more accurate a lot more i don't know not over the top or whatever but of course hoffman's accent in real life is weird mm-hmm. too so it, yeah. that's a real tough one for cohen it's to pull tough. off too especially not being american yeah. but even if you are man that doesn't make it any easier <laughs> here yeah. the combination Yo, how, so like Sasha Barrett looks so much older <laughs> than, yes. than, yes. than any Redmayne. So I'm like, I don't know if these guys are supposed to be alike in age because I kind of bought Redmayne as, oh, he's the post grad that's like kind of leading the wave of these college. You know, where I'm like, so what's 
<laughs> what's Abby been doing for like the 20 years since removed from college? Right. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> I mean, but you know, I, I really like Jerry. Like there was a lot of really cool transformations because I've, I've only seen Jeremy Strong from The Gentleman earlier this year. Yeah. Right? And then, of course, Inside of Succession. And seeing this like stoner hippie was really cool. Well, I liked him a lot in The Big Short, too. And I like you were saying. Wait, he was in The Big Short. Jeremy Strong. Yeah. Yeah, he's one of the stockbrokers with um, uh, yes, with uh, yes. Steve Carell. He's on Steve Carell's yeah. side. So, yeah, I mean, I love that movie. I love it so much. And it, uh, like you said, when you compared it to this a little bit, I'm like, it doesn't have the same TikTok because you get the courtroom yeah. stuff. Uh, so it's yeah. less of a procedural. But I understand what you mean with the cast and how people could just chew up scenery and mm -hmm. just let these awesome actors cook and to your point about rylance he is absolutely built for this film because he was basically pitched to most people when he started to you know get a bigger film career this guy was supposed to be the biggest stage actor at of his time at the time when he mm. started to get bigger with bridge of spies and all these other projects yeah. so if if Sorkin, who's just coming off of re uh, reviving To Kill a Mockingbird, uh, you know, bringing the courtroom stuff, kind of like chewing that mm -hmm. back up again, getting back into where he shines, then you bring yeah. Mark Rylance in too. That's such a perfect pairing that and and it yeah. works so well. Yeah, and this story is very theatrical in nature. Like, yeah. you know, the first time we get inside the courtroom and the camera really kind of weaves its way to the back of the room and to the side of the defense and then coming up to where the jurors are being brought in. Like, yeah. it's it's almost like this was being played, like, to the round. So, like, I like that. As a theater kid growing up, like, yo, this <laughs> – I like those elements, sure. right? Um, this, like, this was good. Like, it, it's definitely it, – it's it's it was a fun movie, too. I, I almost felt a little confused by the tone at the beginning because – I know that we're dealing with, so there was a riot and I'm being led to believe that people were like hurt or possibly killed. Right. But like the music is super upbeat. Yes. Like it's yes. got some of that rock to it. So I'm like, uh, okay, I'm with it. So, and then, but I yeah. think it adjusts. It, it definitely does adjust. I would definitely say I felt you on that with the music, especially because again, not to kind of contrast and compare, but we are in 2020 when some high profile films, Defy Blood started out their film mm -hmm. with a, basically a, catch you up with Vietnam, catch you up with what's been going on, uh, literally, uh, using that song over <laughs> and over. Uh, and then, you know, kind of moving forward in the timeline and, and then showing the rest in flashback. This film uh, has to take you, you know, back and forth as well. But the tone of how people felt before Chicago and how they felt after is has to be remarkably striking. So it's weird to see at first you're like, what is this movie about again? <laughs> and then it really, you know, kind of finds its footing yeah, it in terms of the the score and, and a lot of the other, uh, the gravity of the situation is always felt in the proper places. So I, I definitely kudos to Sir, uh, Sorkin for, you know, coming around on that. Um, so I kind of, I, <laughs> I want to kind of go into more specific scenes. So I would say for anybody, yeah. you know, Spoiler central, probably ahead. Um, if you want to give anybody uh, like your exact thoughts on the film, maybe before we get spoilery, like where would you put this as far as like a grade, or would you, you know, how would you characterize this film right now in in the current lens of award season, and everything else where people are talking about that stuff? 
yeah, I think that this movie is a solid 8 out of 10 for me. I think this is a great film. Some people can say 8 is like very good. Very good, great. Those are pretty much synonymous. I think this is a really good movie. Um, I think that the actor, the acting is what's doing it the most for me here. Yep. Right behind that is Sorkin writing at its absolute best. I think this movie has some profound messages and like some really great lines that we'll talk about that like just like I stuck out. I'm so happy that I was like in this movie theater practically alone where I could take all the notes I wanted. No problem. <laughs> I did it have was that too. so good. <laughs> Because, like, there was some, like, there's some really, really good stuff that's like, damn, like, that's, uh And, like, so there's a lot to be able to chew on here. Um, I don't think that this film is inconsequential. Um, I don't know how this plays during the election. Like, when I, when I hear that, I'm like, I don't think that this is something that, like, would sway me. I, I don't know. I don't really know right. how, that, how that feels, like, in, in this climate. But I absolutely believe that for a lot of people, like, man, this would have been so good to watch in a movie theater uh, on, yeah. like, a Friday night, like, this I could see being like a solid performer, you know. Um, shout out to Paramount, you know, saying like hey, we're gonna like you know take our losses here. We're gonna get it to Netflix, and um, I'd be interested to see um where it debuts in the top ten. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I this 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 looks like a like a somewhere between like a three to five for me, like <laughs> in the top ten. Sure. In that first week, you know, because Adam Sandler's got that Hubie Halloween movie, <laughs> and I don't think that's moving no time soon. <laughs> yeah, on the Netflix top ten, I'm sure it's gonna go to number one. Uh, you know, I mean, yes, we oh, are in this. They'll season. make it go to number. Oh yeah, they'll make it go to number one. <laughs> Absolutely. But I think film Twitter will have something to say about it too. I mean, like, yeah. uh, I mean, two. Your point, though, Defy Bloods did take a while to get up in that, and I thought yeah. that Spike Lee was going to have more impact, but, you know, white people for this one, so I don't know. <laughs> you know, maybe they might just... There's a lot of yep, them. Yep, there are a lot. And, <laughs> a lot. and they're, you know, worldwide, so, you know, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. But uh, yeah. for me, I'm kind of there with you. I'm, I'm, you know, like a B-plus for this movie right now. I think it's a very mm. solid movie. I think he it drops a little bit in the end and it matters in a movie like this where you're following a procedural yeah. and you really are, you know, kind of invested to the point where they drop a little bit. So I think that matters at the end of the day in terms of scoring. But I, like I said, we've, we've talked at length right now about the cast is excellent. There are many standouts who I think are award worthy, uh, you know, Sorkin, totally amazing script i think the biggest difference between molly's game and this one too is that molly's game was definitely a mess that kind of really became a mess in the third act i think that movie's good don't get me wrong yeah. but i think that this movie works a lot better because a he learned a lot from that and then he's yeah. also in his wheelhouse right now trying to write a courtroom drama so i think all the pairing of the stuff he learned mixed with something that he's more familiar with, I think really lends to getting a much better and timely film uh, out of this. And, you know, uh, as I am a, uh, a dad of two small kids and even before then I was kind of a softie, I will say this movie made me like well up a couple times too. So the man did his work. He knows where to twist yeah. the knife, um, mm -hmm. you know, grab you by the heart. So uh, definitely kudos to Sorkin on this one. Uh, but now I think, you know, maybe we can switch over to some spoilers. And then I want to ask a couple of pointed Netflix questions for you, uh, especially in terms of where we're looking big picture with this one. Yep. All right. So first of all, um, the two scenes, I want to go through them and to kind of see your point, see where we match up or anything else, because I keep teasing that. So to me, mm -hmm. the two scenes, it's a back to back and they're not even 
one of them's not even a whole scene. So the scene where the tape comes out. So the the beginning of that scene is gripping. It's very yeah. good because you're seeing where the riots truly turned. So we finally get to see this big moment of seeing, you know, police overreaching, uh, you know, physical violence that leads into the full on, you know, they think they got the aha on this group, right? So, and then they play out the string of something that we don't get to see, which is what a, a cross-examination of Tom Hayden would look like. And I think the scene starts out really well. But what doesn't work well is it wraps up by kind of talking about grammar and syntax in, in, in conversation and saying, oh, this is what maybe you meant or, oh, you make mistakes like this all the time in your work, but nobody knows that except for Abby Hoffman. And he's, it's the first time that it comes, it comes up, up out right? of nowhere. If this was planted on early or whatever, like where like Abby's constantly critiquing, you know, his op-eds or whatever, like, Oh, and then it, it seemed like that's something that you could say after the fact. Sure. I don't think in the heat of that moment, you had any idea that that's what you were saying. Yeah. And so, all right two parts of the scene because this is like this is everything that i'm waiting for i'm waiting for the defense to uncover something i thought they were going to be able to do it with michael keaton's character yeah. and that wasn't able to play out and then we're just like oh by the way here's this MacGuffin. yes <laughs> um so i got this tape that somebody just like okay number okay if on the specific day in question there was a huge you know, rally at the park where everything's been like going on for, you know, I guess days, yeah, days leading up yeah. to the DNC. No one was aware of this audio of him pointedly saying like, let the blood spill on the streets. Yeah. Like that's pretty big. That's a really big thing. So like, it seemed like none of the seven knew that he said he was in a fucking microphone. Right. Like everybody heard it. Yeah. Let like, and this is my thing. If my best friend got cracked over the crown of his head, gushing in blood. One, the fact that he can see that from like 25, 30 yards away yeah. is like, the cops, no, I'm bolting to the cops to pull, like, that's what I'm doing. I'm not speaking into the microphone. Yeah, you're done. There was something about that moment that didn't feel like that's, that's not what happened. And because this is something that happened in history, as an audience member, I, I, I got dejected from, you know, the, the, the authenticity of this story and how powerful that it was working on on me up until this point. And it sucks because like I was really riding this high. Like I love, I, I really like that character. Like this is a guy that like they like him and Abby are obviously for the same cause, but like the way like their their lens is so completely different. Yeah. And I, I loved like just that's the one thing that really attracted me to that character, right? To, to Hayden. I'm like, okay, like I, I, I want to be with him, and it's like, you know, it, it, it's he, he wants to play the game because that's all, like, all this. Poly, it's just, like, it's his game and stuff like that, and he wants to be able to play it. And like, there was a line that stuck out that was like, I found it. So, if you don't win elections, it doesn't matter what second. Yeah, which and that was his response yeah. to Abby, and it's like, he, he's kind of got it. But it kind of sucks that he has to get it. Yeah. And it plays out in his character when he chooses to stand and then blames it on it being like, you know, uh, it was just, oh, it was just, a, you know, um, force of habit. Like, I just, you know, thought to stay like, and it mattered. And that made calling him out for it. And then it felt so contrary to see all of that play out. 
and then this very passion decision that I just didn't buy. Yeah. Well, and then just to, to parlay on that, uh, the following scene is the scene where Abby Hoffman takes the stand, and that I thought was too flat, and then yes. and it didn't sh- color enough things for the audience, especially when this is supposed to be so big. You know, and it just came off of what was built up to be another big scene to contradict this message. Um, And then they end up just as soon as, you know, a big line that ends up being in the trailer that Abby Hoffman says where he's like, you know, I'm I'm on trial for my thoughts. You know, take it easy on me. I'm on trial for my thoughts or whatever. I'd never been on trial for my thoughts before. That's literally they fade to black after that. Yo, bro, there is I, nothing I got... left to say. And I'm like, what? What are you talking about? He's the big icon <laughs> in the movie and he's on the stand. He's hasn't been dismissed. He's trying to evade a pointed question. He hasn't answered the question yet. And you fade to black? What the fuck is that? So Bro, I, I got like I was tight. Because I thought that okay. If the audio recording was the was the was the smoking gun, I thought that that recording was essentially undone because if we're talking about context and we have Abby quoting the Bible talking about context, but yet we don't get to see the payoff of him telling the courtroom, "Aha, right. aha," he said, "Our blood." Right. He wasn't talking about the police. He's literally talking about the people who are out there protesting this war. They had no business being in. That until our blood is what is shed on the streets, the world won't see it. Right. And I, we like, why would we? Why were we denied? Yeah, that? It never comes up. Never have the speech. I wonder. I thought, he almost winked at him. Like the, the the camera goes to Hayden and then back to Abby, and it went to black. I'm like, yo, we are not in a TV drama. Yeah. What is going on? Like that. It, I felt I got taken out of a movie, and into a TV episode. Right. <laughs> and then the next scene. Ugh. Yeah, it's almost like it should have faded to black and said, "Executive producer Dick Wolf." <laughs> <laughs> yo, yo, that's exactly what I'm saying. Like, oh, this is law and order. Yeah, gotcha. Right. Because to me, oh, the way man. they built this up was like you're expecting Nicholson and a few good men versus yeah. like just something that fizzles out. And it's you know, and I'm not saying it has to match that. It's not going to match that intensity. Yeah. But you you just crave the information or at least the back and forth dialogue of kind of proving. These idiots wrong. And instead, all you get is a few platitudes and then they fade to black and you're like, what's going on? Because you're right. I do actually like the 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 comparison, the Bible comparison, because it does do something to progress their message. And especially for a guy who kept saying, you know, the, the back and forth, the entire movie about this is a political trial and that, you know, my thoughts are on on trial here and that they wanted us done from the beginning. Shouldn't you see more from that? Wouldn't it be more contentious with him on the stand than anyone else? That wasn't how it was. Why isn't yeah. it? I have so many questions now because, <laughs> and I wonder, I truly do. Uh, I wonder two things because Molly's game, I think part of the thing that suffered for that film is that it is longer than it should be a little bit where it's like 220 or more. Mm-hmm. So it's like that he maybe caught a few notes on that one for that being a little more excessive than he should have. But yeah. with this film, they had so much to work with. If that movie is 220 and the way it was paced out, if you give me 
more information. If you gave me more in that scene alone, I'd be forgiving. But instead, it yeah. fades to black, then cuts to literally sentencing, and then you're out. So, and it and like it felt like it said like obviously I could tell that they were being sentenced. We're down two less, you know, defendants. Yes. <laughs> They're in prison clothes. Yeah. But it says like, it's like, but it's weird because like, oh, 179 days of trial. No, trial's over. Like we're clearly like I need to say the trial is done. Yeah. And we're out. But I mean, like that's fine. But like. I, I thought it was really, I mean, this is where like Sorkin dialogue, like, you know, at the end of the film and he is, you know, you got, you got, you got um, Hayden, you know, you know, given everything like, you know, what does respect mean? And it's funny cause I'm making all these notes, like, you know, this judge is so impartial and he's like, so like, if I do these things, my government will look favorable on me. Yeah. Brief, respectful, remorseful. What's that third one? Brief. Yeah. And then like, and he's, and obviously he's like baiting him and, it, and it's so cool and i love the fact that early on in the film we see i forget the uh you know the best friends uh rennie uh we see him taking down and he's writing down every name of every man that's been lost in this war and he finally whips that out and i like that was a really really powerful moment except that it's so unbelievable like but it's this true judge, it's true really? yeah it's absolutely true that's the thing wow. some of these things do lend to <laughs> this is perfect sorkinism um <laughs> but it's absolutely something that happened um and and to that end too i think a couple of things are uh one how i would characterize that last moment that the sentencing scene i would absolutely characterize that as a capra-esque ending like that is completely <laughs> yeah. a sweetened frank capra movie ending yeah and so is just the fact that they kept that notebook and kept that thing throughout mm -hmm. the film that is something that is absolutely a frank capper thing so i think between his combination of going to like west wing roots and you know kind of using some of that stuff especially because again he just came off to kill a mockingbird so it kind of harkens to that that older style but kind of trying to update it with his particular uh. style of dialogue he it definitely rounds out here it, all the work has been done here. <laughs> you could definitely yeah. tell. So, so was that was so was Judge Hoffman supposed to let him read all five thousand of these names? I mean, like, I don't hey, know how far he got. Uh, that I don't, <laughs> I don't know, know. <laughs> but he kind of has to let him by law go. I, but again, there's a lot of things with this judge that by law he was completely ignoring or shutting down. So I I don't know how far it goes. I mean, you get a piece of it where he's losing his mind and who knows where it's going to go from there. But, you know, they can't do much more to him. They're already sentenced. You know, they're already yeah. or they're, at least they're already found guilty. Uh, now yeah. the sentencing, what are you going to do to them? So now yeah. is supposed to be the, you know, the Tom Hayden kind of transformation of I'm me and Abby are kind of seeing eye to eye. That was a Paul Greengrass note from mm. uh, what Sorkin said, where. In his original draft, he had done a really good job of kind of showing the history of what went on. But one thing that Greengrass said was, so tell me the story. And then as he told him the story, he was like, so you have this big meaty chunk where it's these two quote unquote rivals, educated rivals that need don't see eye to eye, but need to come to some common ground for the purposes of not only the trial, but also to kind of show the message that they want to get when they're in the biggest spotlight. So it's mm. kind of the, he was like saying, you need to play up 
this as one of the biggest thing. And then he said that's when Sorkin crystallized the script and it kind of became more of what it is now. So yeah, and I, I think this is unique as well because I, I don't remember too many courtroom dramas where the defendants are just like out living free throughout all this, right? Like I feel like I don't see that often. Well, out on like, bail is not too crazy. Um, well, for a black man, it is. <laughs> so it's like I'm like, well, bail? What the fuck is this bail thing? Like, wait, hold on. Usually, like I'm trying to think. The last courtroom drama that I remember seeing was with Jamie Fox and, yeah. and Michael B. Jordan. Yep. And, you know, and and I'm like. It was, it's such a stark trash where we're following the lawyer who is having to jump through these hoops and hurdles to try to get justice in these roundabout ways and deal with a client that is pushing back or maybe not always like, you know, like playing nice. And I felt like that's essentially what Abby and Hayden were. I almost was interested to see what would the story be like if it was just these two men on opposite sides and then we have to have you know um uh rylance in the middle of them trying to like you know get this thing figured out and i was hoping like not knowing the story i wanted like as an audience member the most satisfying ending is for this super corrupt you know <laughs> uh, uh, uh ag to like they obviously you know witness tampering i mean uh, uh ju juror tampering and sure. like all this other like they're doing all this illegal stuff that we can see yeah. and like, and then have JGL feel like, you know, like for him to be able to, you know, pull a, I just can't do this with my heart. And like, I, I, I don't know, like, but I will say, even with all of that, I still give this like that, like that eight, because it was doing so good. It just kind of like dropped the ball a little bit at the end, but I don't necessarily like hold it fully against the film. Right. Yeah. Cause again, the message is so solid and they paint yeah. so many pertinent things throughout the trial portion that you kind of you forgive it and especially like i said first viewing i definitely mm -hmm. forgave it i just was like yeah. i've been on such a ride to this point i don't care <laughs> and you've painted yeah. it so well i don't care and to me um if you want to talk about best scenes i'll say best in quotes because some of them are really tough to take but uh you know the the michael keaton trial and the, oh, and the yeah. scene before that to where before he gets to trial uh is mm -hmm. awesome work keaton is Yo, that so little, good that creepy man in the back what I, I forget that actor's name but he's like he's he's a character actor has been in a ton of stuff ton of tv stuff the tall guy yes with the, the balding <laughs> like the, the, guy the black yeah. inset eyes yeah. like that he's just he's just like a creep in like anything we ever yes. see him in and he's usually and some kind like of executive level creep too. Yeah. Yes. Oh my God. He's just awful. But like, like good to see him. Like, the, like you know what? I clap it up for those type of actors. Get consistent work. One hundred percent. Always kind of fade in the back. You know, get steady checks. Love it. Yeah. And to be honest, uh, getting literally Langella off the bench is amazing too. To have so him. I feel in here. bad. I was like, wait. When I saw him, I was like, yo, is he dead? <laughs> like I, in my mind, right? I was not totally sure, and I think I was getting um, confused with um. Oh my God! Was homie from uh from from Lord of the Rings, the other wizard, Christopher? Uh, oh, Christopher oh, Lee. Yeah. There we yeah. go. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was like, oh, that's not him. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I I'm with you. That's that's yeah. not a bad comparison. Um. Yo, but yeah. Langella was eating this up, bro. He was loving like I. He was loving this. Like there was a couple of scenes where it was like, you, you won't. You, I will not hear it. 
he's got that gravel. He man. does. Um, and, he, they, well, it kind of lends back to the, it, the my favorite performances of Langella are all these kind of like politically nature stuff outside oh. of him being Skeletor. Skeletor for him life. And Frost man. Nixon. Fro- that's what I'm talking yeah. about. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Frost Nixon and Dave and Good Night and Good yeah. Luck. I mean, those are the three like more politically social political nature, you know, movies that he is great at being either the heavy the dick you know but like all part of the process so i I, he is definitely perfect casting for this especially for how bananas this guy is um that it was so funny like his most recognizable role to me is eddie oh geez okay (laughs) (laughs) christ man that happens though to some of those characters, or something. Yes. you get like that one role when you're a kid, and you're like, "Oh yeah, I didn't remember him from this." Like, yeah, easily. Yep, yeah, he's the he's the Jim Dolan dickhead owner. <laughs> Absolutely, man. That's how it works. But and it fits so much. Yeah, it does. I, yeah, and that happens for a lot of these people in this movie because that the no matter how deep the bench is, man, it's it's just like somebody has that one performance you know i i feel bad for i mean he's gonna he's gonna grow out of it but yaya abdul mateen like a lot of people are gonna be like yeah i saw that dude in aquaman it's like all right but uh, (laughs) like can we can we say how great he is and even even just watchmen can we go start at watchmen and then go from there um he he's also not a you know rookie to netflix either uh i know this is an acquired film but all day and a night i thought like it got more pan than I thought it was gonna, but like, yeah, it's a flawed movie. But it, he's good, and so are a lot of people in that it. movie. Yeah, he he's good in it. The, the rest of the movie, ah, yeah, it ain't it ain't do it for yeah, me. Yeah, it's it's okay. <laughs> you know, I, yeah. I just didn't. Like I said, it's not, it's, it's I not didn't, bad. I didn't, it's let's put like, it this way: I didn't cover it on the podcast for a reason because there, there wasn't enough meat on the bone to really kind of go no. through. Uh, and he was also in the Get Down, which that if you want to say an underrated show on netflix it's Mm -hmm. that one especially because if you look at the cast of the young actors they got out of that and saw where they went look it up it's amazing it's unreal justice was in that right sure was um so a lot of people so that was one scene that i wanted to talk about like so the keaton one that was one and then everybody is going to perpetually talk about the Bobby Seal one. You kind of implied, you know, the bound and gagged yeah. uh, thing earlier. That scene is awful. Uh, it's it's well done from a cinematic perspective, but yikes that this is real. I've seen some of the real footage because they have footage, Whoa. Uh, which is already nuts. <laughs> how that is not only caught on tape, but... It, how how did I not know this? How did I not know this story as well? Like I went to college, I went, I took classes. Like what the fuck, man? How does how does stories like these slip by uh, in an American education? I mean, this is a huge story. You know, I have to learn about you know every kind of mass shooting story or anything else. Like, sure, let's do that. But this is like literally the epitome of counterculture. And, and and standing up for your rights against your government and like zero never heard of this story before now that is terrifying and especially the Bobby Seal part and I wouldn't probably even know 
uh, who Fred Hampton was if I didn't listen to Rage Against the Machine as a kid and end up looking up <laughs> everything that they were rapping about that I didn't freaking know. I was getting an education from Zach DeLaRocca <laughs> instead of, you know, my professors in college. So it's like, all right, you know. Tom Morello went to Harvard. We got we're halfway there, so I, I'm an Ivy <laughs> Leaguer compared to that shit. Look at yeah. you, look at you. Yeah. But I mean, so those couple scenes, and and for the ones that I welled up at that I teased earlier, Bobby Seal was definitely one of those scenes. The other one, because I'm a dad, when uh, Dellinger stands up for himself. Derringer. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Der- I did love I did love the summation. The summation by Ho- Hoffman, quote unquote, Sasha Baron Cohen. He was like, what is it? Derringer was a criminal. D- Del uh, wait. Yeah, sorry, what is it? Hold on. I think Dellinger's a uh, is a no, yeah, no. Dillinger, a- Dillinger is a is a criminal. Derringer uh-huh. is a gun, and D- Dillinger is the name, like whatever you can't pronounce. <laughs> the name of so yeah, however he surmised that it was perfect. But Dillinger, when he gets heated, and you know, when after I think that's what the end of the Michael Keaton portion, where it's like, if you're yeah. not even going to give us a trial, why are we here? Like you know, going. You know, standing up for his rights, they're literally standing up and and beating the table, kind of getting angry. And he keeps his cool for the most part. Like they put his hands on him. He's like, you don't need to touch me. You don't need to touch me. And then out of nowhere, a second cop touches him and he just cold cocks him. And Mm -hmm. his remorse and him just saying like he was so surprised that he had that reaction that he lost his cool and then he has to look his wife and kid in the face who's in the courtroom and just go, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. And like his look in his face, he said everything. And it got to me as like a dad, like disappointing your kids is like so harsh. And I know you're, yeah. you know. You- and he's kept it, he's kept his cool the entire time. I mean, it's funny like how he's he characterized, I'm the conscientious objective. Yes. I'm not the I'm not the <laughs> World Asian War II. Student. That was a great line too. Where it's like, right? I want to <laughs> really punch you. <laughs> I want to punch you. Like it was really good. And like in that like in that character actor, don't know his name. I know he's from like Crazy Stupid Love and a bunch of other stuff, right? And um, but like he's good. What are you talking about? The guy who it, played Dellinger? Yeah. Oh yeah. No, he's great. He's a ton I, of stuff. He. Uh, I remember him mostly in uh, Zodiac. And Fargo. Oh yeah. He's also been in a couple of Netflix films too, The Highwaymen and Private Life. So he's been he's always around. That guy. Especially yeah, no, Zodiac he, is the one that, that sticks out for me with him. Yeah. That guy's probably like like three to five projects a year. Like, yeah. Yeah, it's John Carroll Lynch for anyone who's trying to play along. John yeah. Carroll Lynch. There we yeah. go. Yeah, I know he's one of those three damers. Okay, yeah. cool. But yeah, no, I mean it, it was great. And then like him at the end of the film being able to kind of get that second opportunity with his son, just like stand up like being proud yeah. of him. You know, stands up on like you know the back of the you know the court, and you know as you know, um, you know uh, Hayden is reading those names, and they've all got their fists up in the air. Yeah. Um, you know, I will say that character is unique for me as, and 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 I wonder when it was being. I mean, that's his character, like obviously, like based off of the person, the real life. But if Sorkin has the lens that like. For a white man to be so indignified to say you don't have to put your hands on me, yeah. it speaks a lot to him because a black man can't say sure. that. Like you know, it's such a stark contrast. Like I mentioned before, the way that they use force for you know Yahya Abdul Mateen, yeah. who this man is already like he's he's literally been in jail this entire time. Yeah, wasn't able to like you know wasn't able to um uh, to, to 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 bond out or anything like that. And all he's asking for is just like yo, I have a legal right to counsel. Right and. I'm being deprived of it. Yeah. 
and I've been deprived of it for month one, month two, month three, and they're all taking witness, yeah. right? This entire time. And it's it's the fact that we have, it's such this big thing where we're looking at a man welling up in tears, bound and gagged. And I think the line that um, that Frank Langella used was to say, um, it, it, was like, it was like so disgusting, like, oh, deal with him as he should be dealt yeah. with. Yeah, yeah. Like, and the fact that this man had the balls, granted it's his courtroom, like to say that in front of all these people, deal with, and it's, it, honestly, it's as if like he's just in a room 10 feet away behind the bench and you could hear like his, like, I feel like we were able to hear his ribs break yeah. as he's being manhandled yeah. by like these two cops. I don't even know, man. It's just yeah. like, it's gross. The court is entirely like, silent because they're waiting for him. Like, like. He wasn't banging on the table. He was just like, yo, can you let me? Why? One, I always thought that that's a thing you can do. Like, I only know the justice system from what I see in movies and TV. Am I not allowed to represent myself? Right. Or because I'm black, I'm not allowed to rep- represent myself. Because right. I, I don't understand. Like, it was the the oddest thing. And I'm glad that, you know, Dellinger kind of stepped up and said, like, yo, this just, this, this, this isn't right. Because he's the most reserved one. And, you know, it was interesting that, like, the one thing that I, I wish could have been dealt with they obviously all know of each other yes well for the most the con- part for the most part is the conspiracy was hey before we go like we're going like this is what our our plan is the four groups of us black panthers the the hippies the college kids and dellinger and his peaceful protesters we're all going to get together and incite violence like that's what conspiracy means i don't see where that was ever proven oh no like, it wasn't like, and that's the problem like, uh, like just because one guy said let's let blood flow in the streets, that was clearly a him thing. That had nothing to do with Dellinger. That like at some point I need to get a new counsel. Like, well, hey, sorry for Hayden, but uh, not only that, like, who's on the tape? Dellinger trying to yeah. talk him down. So yes. it actually <laughs> speaks against everything that you're trying to do here. But it didn't matter. That's the point of yeah. the movie: is that nothing mattered. This was a railroading. This was if the government wants to get you, you can get got. And and yeah. there's different levels. You're you're a white protesting unit. Uh, you're you know some quote unquote like rabble rousers in their eye or something mm-hmm. something less uh, threatening. They'll put you in jail or try to put you in jail. Unfortunately, the from the African American perspective, they shot and killed Fred Hampton, and then you know tried to you know and didn't give Bobby Seale basic human rights. So yeah. that's the the stark contrast of where we were as a nation then, still having a lot of issues now, and especially the the bound and gag scene can be should obviously be alarming for anybody, but it obviously is gonna. Mm-hmm. In our current parlances with, you know, George Floyd or, you know, even just the I can't breathe stuff like just the the, Mm -hmm. all of it is unfortunately still relevant. We're talking 50 years difference. It's awful. I don't I'm I'm not telling you anything you don't know. It's just obviously I think a lot of people might be, you know, triggered from something like this or just should feel it if they haven't felt it already should feel this movie on a raw level yeah it's it it is and it seems like that that like are so strong i mean like in just mercy this year with michael b jordan and um you had uh robert um oh goodness gracious uh netflix actor daredevil goodness gracious um but his scene before his execution 
just as like powerful. Yeah. Right? Um, it, it's so seeing those images, it's just it's hard to like watch just to know that we as a country kind of stood by and we kind of allowed this to happen. Right. Yes. Um, it's like, well, we just kind of like, oh, let's cover our eyes. Like maybe it'll go away. Like the boogeyman. It's like the boogeyman has just been around for decades. Right. And, you know, it's great that we got to a point like this summer where America was just tired. Like, I think it was just like, hey, we're tired of covering our eyes because for eight minutes and 46 seconds, we saw a man's life literally just like escape his body. Yeah. And the people that we pay to protect and serve us, it was his, it was their fault. Right. Right. Um, and that's a lot of like what this, you know, the institutions that we put in place, they're failing us. Not because the institutions themselves are bad, because there's bad people. Yes. And um, I think that like this film, like the messaging is powerful. And I, I don't think it's very much like political because to be honest with you, it just feels like the right thing. Yeah. This isn't like, you know, the right thing, you know, my way versus your way. No, this is the right thing. A person should be able to defend themselves in a court of law, yeah. you know, um, and, and, and just... I, I wish I knew a little bit more like what happened to this court, like to this judge who was like, oh, well, 78, 78% of people found him unfavorable. All right. Well, like, did he get like dis? I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Like, I feel like once you're a judge, you're kind of like a made man. I like, know. I don't know what, if anything can happen to you ever. Well, this is the <laughs> so fear right weird. now with the Supreme Court stuff that's going on. You know, oh, my gosh. You're, Lifetime you're a judge for life? Yeah. What? I remember when I, lear- when I learned about that in eighth grade, I'm like, wait, what? That doesn't make any any sense at no. all. Wait, wait. I- I'm sorry. Like, when I was in eighth grade, and I'm, like, really paying attention to learn about U.S. history, like, my grandfather was 68 years old, and I wouldn't trust that man to do fucking anything, yep. let alone <laughs> run the country. Yes. So, like, I don't understand how all of a sudden, I mean, granted, we're about to nominate a 77-year-old yes. <laughs> to possibly be president, but, like, I, you know, I think there needs to be, like, a cutoff, bro. Oh, <laughs> yes. Absolutely. My <laughs> wife and I have talked about that a lot lately, unfortunately, because uh, tis yeah, the man, season. But, but yeah. this movie, like... That that yeah that that scene is is strong and it's like um it's that's definitely that that can definitely be like the Oscar montage for Yahya Abdul Mateen um like should he get a nomination because it is it's striking yeah absolutely I agree I think uh, if if I had to think about it again Oscar lens for this I can absolutely see this being up for best picture especially in a year like Easily. this I can absolutely see. Uh, yeah, yeah, up for best supporting. Um, I could yeah. and and possibly Rylance. You know, if mm-hmm. you told me one or both, get in, totally get it. I mean, it's kind of like how you know people couldn't split up the Irishman stuff last year mm-hmm. because it was two solid performances in a big movie. This might happen again. I feel like this is. I mean, this feels a little bit. This feels more like a spotlight kind of to me. Where like Yaya would get the Mark Ruffalo, and then you have Michael Keaton getting the what? Uh, the Mike did he get nominated? I don't think he did get nominated. I don't think so. No, it was um Mean Girls. Goodness gracious, Rachel yes. McAdams she got yes. nominated. All right, yeah. those those are the two that that kind of got from there. Um, but I can see that I, I'm st- I'm torn if I would see a possible nomination directing or writing. Writing, yes, I could see best because uh, again, it's is it. It's in best original, which would make it harder. So this is not adapted from any type of like. No, there was no play or anything. There were other films, but this is an original version of the telling of the story. Like there was never like a a feature length version that was he was adapting off of. There's books on this trial all day, but it's not like 
he took direct things. If anything, the only person, which I don't know if this uh, goes to your point earlier, um, the only person from the trial on the defendant's side who was still alive at the time of when he was writing this was Tom Hayden. So if you feel like the movie is a little colored up for Tom Hayden, it might be. <laughs> um, because he's the only okay. guy, he's the only <laughs> person who can give firsthand accounts in yeah. from, and that's why you get the real, you know, the good stuff from him and Abby and going back and forth in this film. Okay. So there is that. One last thing I want to ask you because we kind of really laid out how we feel. For my, this is selfish on my part, completely selfish. <laughs> so because this movie is acquired, uh, it is a Netflix film. Because it is their distribution. It was never put out in theaters. They put it out in theaters. A nice thing to do for Sorkin. Um, A couple of things. One, is this the best Netflix film you've ever seen? And do you think it should be counted for Netflix even though it was gifted to them? So to put it in those terms. So would you put this above Marriage Story, Irishman, the ones that they have the most nominations for? Or do you think this is the goods? No and no. This is not the best Netflix movie. And this is... N- I don't consider it like a Netflix movie. Okay. And, it, and, and like, no shot at Netflix. I feel like that there's some films where, like, I didn't know that they weren't Netflix, like, you know, originally, like, producer or whatever. Sure. And then, like, I gave, like, high favorability. And I'm like, oh, that's a Netflix movie. But this, like, like, I, said, like I said at the beginning, it doesn't feel like a Netflix movie. Like... Marriage Story, maybe because I knew more about it. Like, oh, I knew that was a Netflix film, right? right? I knew Dolomite was a Netflix sure. film. I knew The Two Popes was a Netflix film. And, like, you know, they had, a, I mean, a super strong 2019. Yes. Right? Like, you know, it's undeniable. And this is good. But it's, like, that third act in the MacGuffin recording takes it down a, a notch. And, like, I fe- like, honestly, for me, like, what Marriage Story was able to produce screenplay-wise that was my like I wanted that to win best original screenplay. Yeah. Like it I found that screenplay to be phenomenal. Yes. Agreed. You know, so like and the performances and granted it was written to be a performance piece for actors. It's much smaller on the ensemble side, mm-hmm. you know, comparatively. Um so like as a showcase, that movie was able to do more. I mean Marriage Story is my number four film of twenty nineteen. So right. like Marriage Story is my is the best Netflix film to me. Not my favorite, but definitely the best. Yeah. I, I Listen, right now, I think, because I keep track of these things on Letterboxd, if you want to follow me on Letterboxd, that's cool. Uh, not you, personally. I'm, I'm talking <laughs> to the audience. I'm, I, are you on Letterboxd? I forget. I think whether we I follow am. each yeah. other. Um, yeah, but, yeah, uh, yeah I, I, I keep a list of mm-hmm. my favorite Netflix uh, movies over the years, of the ones I've seen. Right now, I reluctantly have Irishman at number one, and I look at it every day, and I go, I, I don't know. I should probably change that. Um, but wow. but Marriage Story is two. Uh, yeah. I think I have maybe Roma at three. It's definitely like three I or four. I appreciate Roma more than I It's I great. Enjoy. I'm never going to watch it again. Never going to yeah, watch it again. It's so beautiful. Yeah. It's great film, uh, but there's so many things that I just can't revisit or don't yep. want to revisit i watched it multiple yep. times when i was you know doing the critic thing but outside mm-hmm. of that nope not going back nope. <laughs> not going back so no bright where's bright at? Oh, Come on, Jesus, yes. I, I listen i keep a top 20 and bright is never going to be anywhere near it. 
like my like the bottom half of my so much 20 is are still really good movies uh so you know like i think because i think 20 right now is maybe like old guard or platform or something like wow. so it's you know i need to find time because I've, I've, it's just been a crazy year like honestly this 2020 it was easy for me to keep up with 2019 for netflix 2020 it is hard to keep up like i which is crazy because they're the only ones putting stuff out every yes. week <laughs> and it's like i'm so behind like i still haven't seen the the kaufman movie i still haven't oh, wow. seen the, you yeah. know the the uh what's the woman of uh, tom holland and yeah, <laughs> i haven't seen yeah, that one yet yep. <laughs> i just there's so much stuff i mean i, I watched who halloween three times this oh, week, so it's like I, oh my gosh bro Woo. killing me man <laughs> we did we did a netflix hey. watch party for that and yeah that was uh that was I don't know how you did it three times. I was like, so, I'm not rewatching. I said, this. I don't know if you saw my tweet. No, <laughs> there is not an Adam Sandler movie. Oh, I, I did don't see like. that. I did see that. Yes. Yeah, there just there just isn't. Like, it, 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 I'm a Sandman guy, so it's gonna be really really hard to disappoint me because I know exactly what I'm coming to get. Yeah. I, with with that said, yeah, there there are parts where I laughed really hard at Hubie Halloween, but yeah. at the same time, I don't oh, feel yeah, good about nonsense. it. <laughs> it's nonsense. Yeah. But I'll tell you this. Where you just like get like so like choked up a little bit at the end. That's a really strong ending. Has no business being in that movie. Oh but like, yeah, for sure. There's a good lesson oh, to be learned. Oh, like there. the homage or whatever, like the actual. No, his mom just kind oh, of surprising everything at the yeah. end. Yeah, yeah. Oh. No, yeah. It's definitely more heartfelt than anything that should have been in that movie. So. Yep. But yeah, no. Hey, man, you want to go full Friday the Thirteenth on that film? Whatever. That's cool. Uh, that's cool with me. But anyway. That is uh, a whole other podcast. We'll probably end up doing the October recap sometime <laughs> soon because November is literally like right now all Christmas movies and nothing else from Netflix. Oh, it's that, that Kurt Russell movie. They're doing the sequel to that. Yeah, Santa Claus that's movie, coming right? out Thanksgiving. Oh, so, yeah. So they got a lot of stuff, man. Um, but yeah. So great to have you back, man. This was yes, always man. great. Uh, I'm glad you were here for this one. And yeah, we'll see where this lands for everybody. I, I, I could definitely see a lot of conversations Oscar-wise for the rest of the year for this one. I mean, we only have six months left to get yeah. the Oscars. <laughs> That's so. the problem. There's so much unknown. You don't know how far things are going to get pushed back, when nope. when people might get, I don't want to call it desperate, but desperate, and then and mm -hmm. try to put it something out on either Netflix making another acquisition or How or Netflix decides to campaign any of this stuff. Yeah. I've got no clue. And listen, it's not just them anymore. I mean, a Amazon yeah. just acquired One Night in Miami. Like, it's going to be true. more and more of these things. Apple TV Plus is going to play Minari. Like, it's it's going to go and go and go. And On the Rocks yeah. already is going to be coming out for Apple TV Plus. Oh, so right. there are going to be other platform conversations, but we're also going to see where the theatrical stuff so uh, goes. So we'll see. I, 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 I'm yeah, I'm slowly but surely getting out there. I don't know if it's going to be enough for everybody, uh, you know, because like I said, same as you, man. It's been like me and two other people in the theater at best. So yeah. we'll see. But good to have you back, man. Um, Thank you. Brother. Tell the people how they can find you. 
Yeah, you can follow your boy. I'm on all the socials at Kobe Tomi on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, you can check out my website when I'm in the Rue to Write, which has been a long time, <laughs> at KobeToby.com. And you can catch my podcast, at least past episodes of Kobe Tomi Podcast, available to you on all major platforms. So when they ask you where you heard it from, you tell them Kobe told me. And it's going to be hard to have uh, Kobe Toby to Stephen Doby or Do- how would you put it? I you got- <laughs> Hashtag Kobe does That's it yeah so it's hard to get that man these days but uh hopefully we all get our return to normalcy very soon yep wear your mask exactly thanks ben thank you